We begin our Superman series today, and we are focusing on Jethro. And I will introduce Jethro a little bit later in Scripture. But when we think of the term Superman, our first thought is that man named Clark Kent, is it not? Who was a reporter for the Daily Journal. He was awkward, clumsy, he appeared weak, defenseless, and was always in someone's way. He was deeply in love with Lois Lane, but he was too shy to let her know. Clark Kent always portrayed a weakling that was a disgrace to the average man. But as we all know, you can't judge a book by its cover. Whenever there was a serious problem, Clark Kent would go running into a closet or a telephone booth and change into his Superman outfit. And away he would fly to save the day. In his own way, he was transforming the lives of people in this community by giving them security, justice, and hope. But I'm not here this morning to talk about a fictitious man that's flying around with a red cape, who jumps off the tallest buildings, who can outrun a locomotive and is faster than a speeding bullet. I'd like to talk about a superman that can impact your life and can challenge you to live a better life. I'm talking about a superman that will take an ordinary situation and through the wisdom given him by the Lord, make it extraordinary for all involved. Extraordinary is defined as very unusual or remarkable, not ordinary or normal. Yes, the opposite of extraordinary is normal. And we were created by God to live and do extraordinary things in our lives with his power and his presence. But I ask you this morning, do you want to be normal or do you want to be extraordinary? Now, Exodus chapter 18 is where our scripture reference is today. Now, it's a simple story. And when I started to write my sermon, I actually chose the whole chapter as my basis. Now, it's only 27 verses, but then I've cut it down a little bit, so you don't have to sit through all 27. Exodus chapter 18 is two simple stories. The first one is from verse 1 to 12, but both of the stories are based on Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law. And in verses 1 to 12, we see where Moses and Jethro are reunited. So we're not going to worry about that, but it's a beautiful story of the family coming back together again. Moses sends his wife, Zipporah, and his children back to Jethro and Midian for a while, and it, in verses 1 to 12, they come back together, and it's beautiful. So if you've got time, and when you get home, maybe take a look at it. But we're looking at verses 13 to 27. And this second part is the story of Israel getting organized. Now Moses is the supreme court for Israel, and it's wearing him out, and it's frustrating the people. And the situation was bad for everyone. So we're going to read from verse 13 to 27. Now, I didn't put it in my notes, so I've got to read off the screen. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. 
Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. I'd like to pick up from verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. What you are doing is not good. You are not able to do it alone. So let's do a little bit of a reality check here. There were two to three million people gathered with Moses at that point in time. Can you just imagine it? Hey, my neighbor broke my wagon. He ripped my tent. He stole my cow. She took some of my manor. Your son was getting flirty with my daughter. They're hogging my space on the ground. Your ox gored one of my sheep. Can you imagine the kinds of disputes and Moses was waiting there all that time to inquire of God and give them the answer. Jethro looks at him and says, look, not smart. Rather teach them the statutes and the laws. And Jethro carries on and says, I want you to get capable men. They'll decide the smaller cases. Rather you handle the big stuff. Amazingly, he was setting up a judicial system not that different in basic organization from our own. We have a magistrate's court, district court, high court, supreme court, and then the constitutional court. It's all good. It's common sense. It's a biblical system when it works. But there's some leadership lessons that we learn from Jethro and his relationship with Moses and his people that I'd like to highlight this morning. The first one, a good leader shows respect to others. Think about it. Moses is in charge of two to three million people. And yet he's not too big to treat his family right. In verses 1 to 12, when they're reunited as a family, he greets Jethro. He welcomes him in. 
and he shows him deference and respect. Moses does everything his father-in-law tells him to. He shows respect even to his father-in-law. His father-in-law. A lot of people, when they get to a place of social prestige, of power, of privilege, they feel like everyone ought to be subservient to them. They lord it over others. But Moses understood. I might be the prophet of God's people, the one who God uses to, de- who used to defeat the, in- the, the, the powerful, most powerful empire in the world. I might be the one who is single-handedly judging the cases of these two to three million people. I'm the one they look to for leadership. But here comes my father-in-law, and I'm going to show him respect. The second lesson. Good leaders change when necessary. In this story, you can see the humility of Moses. He listened to this new convert. Jethro was a new convert. Moses had converted him. He explains what he's doing. He doesn't make excuses. We have a great deal of freedom in life and in our ministry. Not utter freedom, but we have some freedom. God doesn't spell everything out for us. We can take advice from all sorts of places, from new believers or sometimes from non-believers. We can even get good advice from our in-laws. When you think about it, it's really remarkable that Moses has got this respect for his father-in-law. His father-in-law says, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm doing such and such and I'm really busy. And his father-in-law says, well, it's not working. Let me give you some advice. Aren't those famous in-laws words? You would have thought Moses would go back and say, Zipporah, your dad is killing me. You've got to talk to him. This is really driving me crazy. He's always telling me what to do. It's enough. But he listens. And he does exactly what Jethro says. It happens to be really good advice. So that's helpful. Good leaders... I'm going to rather say good people. Know when to change. When is the last time you said something like this? That's a really good idea. Let's do it your way. Or what about, you know what? That's a lot better than the way I've been doing it. If you've never said that to people, you're either God, and I can cross that one off the list, or you aren't thinking clearly. None of us have all the best ideas. None of us are so high and mighty, we don't have anything to learn from each other. Sometimes we can learn from new converts, and we can even learn from our in-laws. The next lesson we learn is good leaders delegate. If you care about people, you will always have work to do. Because human beings never run out of needs. But we need to know our limits. God is the only one in the universe who gets his to-do list done every day. He's the only one who gets all the dishes done and everything straightened up. He gets his to-do list done and he says, that day went just as I wanted it to. John Calvin wrote this beautiful paragraph. And I hope it will be an encouragement to you. I put it up on the screen so you can follow. Because he said this 500 years ago. But I think it still applies today. He could have written it in a blog post last week. He says this, 
Therefore, let all, whether kings or magistrates or pastors of the church, and I've added, for mothers and, or mothers and fathers, know that whilst they strain every nerve to fulfill their duties, something will always remain which may admit of correction and improvement. Here too, it is worthwhile to remark that no single mortal can be sufficient to do everything. Now this is Calvin, who probably worked himself to death. However, many and various may be the endowments wherein he excels. For who shall equal Moses, whom we have still seen to be unequal to the burden, when he undertook the whole care of governing the people? Let then God's servants learn to measure carefully their powers, lest they should wear out by ambitiously embracing too many occupations. A little bit later, he says this one-liner, and if it's the only thing you remember from what I say today, this is what you need to remember. One ray of sun is not meant to illuminate the whole world. We might be very capable, we might be able to do quite a bit in our day, but one ray of sun is not meant to illuminate the whole world. You might say there's darkness in the world, there's darkness in my life, there's darkness in my heart, there is darkness in that corner of the house. But I need you to remember, one ray of sun is not meant to illuminate the whole world. There's an interesting comparison in Exodus 17 and Exodus 18 I'd like to bring to your attention. Moses is tired in both chapters. In Exodus 17, when he's tired, two guys lift up his arms and say, Moses, you've got to do this. We'll help you, but you have to keep doing it. But in Exodus 18, when he's tired again, this time, he needs to be relieved of the work. And it takes wisdom to know the difference between I just need a little support so that I can keep pressing on, and I'm doing a bunch of stuff that I shouldn't be doing. It wasn't because he couldn't do it. Moses could. Nor was it because it was bad. It was really important. But he was one man, and one ray of sun is not meant to illuminate the whole world. It did not depend upon Moses but on God. All of us tend to think we are indispensable until we say no. Then we realize that we really weren't. The next lesson we learn is good leaders find other good leaders. In this story, we see four qualities of a good leader. They should be able men, fear God, be trustworthy, and hate a bribe. If we had to put it into question form, what is their relationship to the task at hand? Are they able to do this? Are they smart, wise people? Secondly, what is their relationship to God? Do they fear him or do they love the praise of man and fear disappointing other people? Then we look to their relationship with others. Are they trustworthy or are they deceivers and liars? And lastly, what is their relationship toward money? Do they hate a bribe? Now, I know that when we are looking for an employee or an employer, a president, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, there are so many things we can add to the list. 
but there's nothing less than those four qualities. John Calvin, in his wisdom, says something else. Among a free people, judges should not be chosen for their wealth or rank, but for superiority in value, in virtue, sorry. When we are looking for people in a realm where we expect them to assist us, serve us, or lead us, are they able to do the task? Do they fear God? Are they trustworthy? Do they hate a bribe? It is much easier to learn new skills than to develop a new self. So make virtue your chief requirement. Jethro was a father figure to Moses and helped guide his son-in-law from burnout in leading his nation and helped him stay restored and connected with God. Jethro was a good judge of character, had good intuition, knew systems, and had insight about Moses wanting to do too much. So, so a respected, loving father figure speaks into Moses' methods, and Moses heeds his father-in-law's advice. Look at what Jethro's words did for Moses. Moses listened and made revolutionary changes in what he was doing. He moved from ministering to leading to doing everything himself to releasing the work for others to do. The government of Israel grew, expanding, empowering others. Moses empowered others just like Jethro empowered him. I've made a list of how Moses changed from Jethro's wise words. He became a man of prayer, Exodus 18, 19. He committed himself to communication, Exodus 18, 20. He laid out the vision, Exodus 18, 20. He developed a plan, Exodus 18, 20. He selected and trained the leaders, Exodus 18, 20. He released them to do the work, Exodus 18, 22. He did only what they could not, what they could not do, Exodus 18, 22. And after things with Moses were implemented, Jethro heads back home to govern his people. But his imprint on Moses is huge. And as you look through scripture, we see he becomes a father figure to a broken young man. And he helps him through the process of renewal, refreshing, refocusing, and a reconnecting with God. And he's restored to his God and ordained back to his position. And in the end, I believe Jethro rode away smiling. I knew that young man was going to do great things for God. He saw Moses restored and achieve his eternal purpose for God. Today we get to honor a man who, in my opinion, is very similar to Jethro. He's definitely got the wisdom, the knowledge, and the intuition that Jethro had. Peter Keyworth is a man who's taught me, and I know many others, so much about leadership. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about him, because we're coming to that a little bit later. Lisa's here to do that. But Pete, from me, thank you for your heart, your passion for serving, your willingness to really listen. You can see Pete serving, because I can't find a photo of Pete in any of the photos we have of any activity at All Saints where he's actually just looking at the camera. Your willingness to really listen, your commitment and dedication to this church, to our trust, and to the wider United Church community. 
you leave a legacy that's truly going to be hard to fill. And to Sue and to the rest of the Keyworth family, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for allowing Pete the hours and hours of time you did for him to spend in meeting after meeting and for always being so understanding and patient. And so Pete, like Moses, we send you back to your family with every blessing from our Heavenly Father, knowing full well that our Lord proudly says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm now going to invite Lisa to share with us, and then I'd like to invite Pete and Sue forward so we can pray for them.